Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome, or maybe welcome again, to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, or as my mother-in-law calls it, a codpast, I ask people what five things from their life they would like to put into a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish or think are significant to them, and one that has been a thorn in their side and they'd like to be rid of. But each thing is very personal to them. Talking about those things this week is the comedian and writer Lucy Porter. As one of the most popular stand-up comedians of the last ten years, she's toured the world. And in between that, she's found time to be a regular guest on numerous TV and radio panel games, such as QI, Have I Got News For You, Mock The Week, The News Quiz and The Unbelievable Truth. She's also a much sought-after comedy writer and columnist. Due to unforeseen circumstances, it was necessary for me to talk to Lucy remotely. Now, we considered visiting the Atacama Desert together, but as travel was restricted for all but government advisers, we settled on both staying in our respective homes and chatting via Zoom. And here's what we chatted about. Hope you enjoy it. I've always been a bit of a hoarder. Hmm. Both emotionally and physically, I like to have lots of things around me and like everywhere I've ever lived has always been messy because I've always had loads of stuff and I'm always trying to keep up with too many people and do too many jobs and because I just have that sort of very acquisitive nature. I just want everything now and I, I have been trying to get better at that but actually the uh, global pandemic situation 
has kind of made me quite pleased <laughs> that I didn't know <laughs> things. Because somebody tweeted the other day, they said, oh, I feel sorry for all those people who marry condoed and now sitting around in their empty houses. Because <laughs> like, we've got so much stuff. And like the kids, they're the same as me. They've inherited my hoarding nature. So they won't throw anything away. But it's meant it's been brilliant while we've been in lockdown because they've got hundreds of things to play with like we're making costumes we've been making um little video films where we all dress up and we've got a dressing up trunk full of every costume justin my <laughs> husband and i've ever had from every job ever and wigs and all the sort of crazy props from my edinburgh shows and his edinburgh shows and so yeah so we we have a lot of stuff so um, consequently what i'm saying is it's, it's going to be hard for me to select just a few items. Mm. I mean, the, the main thing, probably the most important thing that is in my house is my mum's ashes. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, in the event of a fire, I would have to, that would be the first thing I'd have to rescue to stop her being burnt twice, really. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the kind of weird one because I've got my mum's ashes, my sister's got my dad's ashes. And because they were Catholic and my dad was very devout, now you have to bury ashes. I think the Catholic Church made a new thing. Yes, you do, yeah. And my sister and I are absolutely rubbish at admin, both of us. And so we haven't got round, three years after my mum died, four years after my dad died, uh, we haven't got round to burying the ashes. So my mum sits there and I chat with her. And I quite, I mean, I enjoy having the ashes. And I've got mm. a couple of pictures of them. It's almost like a shrine, which again is very not Catholic. Um, <laughs> but um, I quite... I, I sort of quite like having a little presence in the house. She's the only member of the house who doesn't talk back to me or shout at me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be really hard, I think, when we do finally get round to burying her. Um, I think I'll miss her again. You know, it'll be like a second kind of grieving process. But um, Yeah, I'm in exactly the same situation. Isn't are that you? Yeah. My mother died a few years ago, and I absolutely have not got round to doing the things she asked me to do. In fact, the things she insisted I did, which was, you know, bury her with my dad. Um, and I still have her in the cupboard. Every time I take a pair of shoes out, I say, sorry, mum. Oh, I know. You could get her out of the cupboard, Mike. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think she might well start telling me off. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. She suddenly says, hang on a minute. So this dark place isn't the grave. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so difficult isn't it because there's you know that respecting of uh, wishes because also the other thing is we don't know whether to bury them in Ireland or in England because my dad had always said he wanted to be buried in Ireland where he's from hmm. but I don't think my mum fancied the journey I think she felt like it would be a bit much so uh, bit of a rough crossing well exactly it? yes yeah, you know yeah. she doesn't want to face that no I'm afraid my mother's is still in one of the plastic container that it came in from the crematorium. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically yeah. an ice cream tub inside a cardboard box. So we've got That's the cardboard it. box out and then various pictures, including one that my mum really didn't like, and I must take it down because, again, <laughs> it feels a bit disrespectful. If it were me and there was, like, you know, a picture that I didn't like, I'm sure I'd be furious. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not someone who's very uh, spiritual and, you know, I don't have a religious faith or you know was very catholic until i was about 12 or so and then i kind of lost my faith then mm. but i still respect the faith and still feel i don't know there is i suppose there is a bit of me that still sort of 
that kind of magical thinking of religion I really like and I like the idea of benign forces in the universe and of you know people looking out for you and I do always think hang on a minute was that my mum or dad intervening like the month after my dad died I got a job in the Seychelles (laughs) for yeah I know which and I ended up I went out to do this job in Seychelles and the actual job ended up getting cancelled so I basically got a three weeks holiday in the Seychelles and I did I said to my husband I was like you know it felt like my dad was sort of paying me back for (laughs) you know all the everything he'd put us through so uh, who knows but what did your mum and dad do they were pharmacists so they must have thought the idea of going into being a an actress and stand-up comedian was a, a very sensible thing to do. Oh, yeah, they were delighted with it, absolutely mm. thrilled. Yeah, no, my dad used to pretend that I did something else because I would meet <laughs> friends of theirs <laughs> and they'd say, oh, how's how's the... Uh, well, he, he, I think he said I was a journalist, which I would say is less respectable, but I think he felt that that was at least something, rather than saying comedian, which... You know, yeah, I think he felt was a very flippant, by its very nature, a very flippant job. But yeah, he used to tell people I did all kinds of things, I think. And uh, my mum just sort of didn't mention it. I think my mum just hoped I was going to marry well. <laughs> <laughs> and did you? Well, no, but uh, <laughs> although she did love Justin, even though I think that she always wanted me to marry a plumber because she said, well, you'll never, people will always want plumbing. And uh, she's absolutely right. She is right. But then when she met Justin, she really liked him. And also, I think because he was so tall, <laughs> I think that my mum and dad really appreciated that because we're a family of tiny, tiny people. I thought, finally, some good DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more <laughs> someone who can just change a light bulb, even more than the future breeding stock. It was more just on a practical here and now level. Well, actually, in a way, you say you are fulfilling her wishes because you are finally burying her. Well, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. With, along with a load of other random stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so what would be the other things that would go in there with it? I suppose I should put my dad's ashes in as well. I'll bring those off my sister. That's okay. It's one thing, I think. Your mum and dad's ashes. Mm. Keep them together. So maybe we should go for something a bit more uh, lighthearted next. Mm. I suppose I have so much memorabilia and things that I have collected along the way. I'm going to say collected rather than stolen, but um, a lot of the time I do mean stolen. In fact, you know what? One of my absolute favourite things is, is my, I've got a clipboard, which I stole when I worked at Granada Television in the 1990s. And it's an object of great beauty. And I love it to bits because it's got on the front of it, the old Granada TV logo. It's like a G with a big pointy arrow. And it says, Granada, we make television worth watching. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I remember having that clipboard on the set of uh, Stars in Their Eyes, the live final and Richard and Judy. And so it it came with me to a lot of important things early in my life. So I think maybe I might put that in there. And also it's a lovely reminder of the golden age of television. Yeah. What did you do at Granada? So I was a researcher, what we call a researcher. So I, well, I started off as a runner where you make the tea uh, for various things. Um, You've Been Framed was made there. So it was the 1990s. The entertainment department of Granada TV was uh, quite well respected at the time and made all these big shiny floor shows, Mm. things like Stars in Their Eyes and all the Shane Ritchie game shows, which were tremendous fun to work on. And so I used to do every kind 
kind of thing from uh, getting contestants so I used to have to phone around and find people to come on the shows and then I used to do the you know those awful interviews that the host has to do at the beginning where they say so Michelle you're from Horwich and uh, I believe you've got a funny story about the time you once met Bobby Davro and then <laughs> Michelle goes yes um, yeah I met Bobby Davro and um, she's the only one who's got a funny story about meeting Bobby Davro <laughs> Even Bobby Dever hasn't got a funny story about me. Bobby Dever, no. uh, I love Bobby Dever, but yeah. um, that was fun. And then I used to do audience management quite a lot as well. So just wrangling people in and out of the studio. I remember one time we were doing, I think it was one of the Shane Ritchie shows, and uh, everyone was ready to go, and the show was just about to start to be recorded. And um, the director came over the, the talk back in studio and just said to the floor manager, "Look, we." could we move the audience around? Because um, I'd put like a big coach party in just behind where Shane Ritchie was doing his thing, but they were all quite elderly and infirm and quite a lot of them were just eating their sandwiches and fiddling with their hearing aids. And the director said, this doesn't look great. Could we move some of the younger people from up the back? So we ended up, and it was one of the most, it's sort of, I think it really stopped me wanting to work in television because we had to get all these old people out and walk them upstairs. And many of them, this was sort of a great effort. And then we sort of moved the younger people down. And it was so, it was like ageism absolutely physically represented. And so obvious as well. So obvious and so awful. And I mean, in a way, it was my fault because if I had thought about it then I would have known this was going to happen but I was young and naive and didn't realize how much television is about artifice and shiny beautiful people having fun and uh, but I think it was a very early indication that I wasn't suited to the world of television because I, I didn't like all that kind of thing you know I didn't like all the glitz and the glamour I was much more that's why I like radio and podcasting because mm. I'm much more interested in voices and words and the spoken word rather than images i'm just not a very visual person mike as you as you'll know if you can see anything in my house <laughs> i know the uh, the old granada building very well or i did know it very well i spent a lot of time there it was um it was a fantastic place wasn't it oh amazing along I mean, those corridors where all with all the studios off to the side and, mm. and coronation street out the back i know the real original coronate well not the original but the yeah, real coronation street and then while i was there they uh, constructed granada studio tours which was like a theme park so you could go into they built another replica coronation street and then there were rides and it was so weird because you'd be working in the offices and there were roller coasters going past and people (laughs) one day they got stuck some people got stuck on the roller coaster just outside our window and we're sitting there trying to type up scripts and things and there's all these people hanging upside down looking slightly distressed um (laughs) but it was an amazing time it was just properly exciting making you know stuff that the whole nation was watching because back then it, because there was less choice, mm. you know, you did feel like, well, something like Stars in the Rise was a massive event and everyone was talking about it and the live final was really, everyone took it incredibly seriously in a way that made me, as someone who's naturally not very good at taking things seriously, kind of slightly lose my <laughs> lose my head. And yeah, I just get, you know, people like, right, Gary Barlow is walking, Gary Barlow is walking. It wasn't Gary Barlow, it was, <laughs> no. it was some bloke, it was a tyre fitter from Wigan, but it was, uh, yeah, it was really exciting times and there was also a real because I was young 
and there were a lot of other young sort of graduate trainees and things so it did feel like being at university or something where we were all just kind of hanging out we used to go drinking a lot and did you go drinking in the old school the old school run by Angie the most glamorous Mm. A wonderful woman who ran the old school with a rod of iron. So (laughs) if you got too drunk, it didn't matter who you were, whether you were Mike Baldwin or just a lowly researcher, then you were out on your ear. And uh, Although Mike Baldwin just used to be in there all the time playing on the fruit machine. I remember that was... I remember Donal McIntyre. You know Donal McIntyre, the undercover journalist? I remember once we were in there and we were chatting away to Donal McIntyre and um, having a lovely time. And then he's, we said, oh, you know, what are you doing anyway at the moment, Donald? He said, oh, well, I've just finished a series um, about nightclubs in Nottingham. But it's all been a bit difficult because uh, I've really upset some of the nightclub owners. And so basically there's a bounty on my head and, you know, any time someone could uh, could come and kill me. <laughs> and we all oh. just slowly hedged away. <laughs> like, lovely to see you, Donald. We'll see you soon, mate. <laughs> Good luck with that. Who was in charge up there? Was it David Lidermond? Yeah, up in the penthouse suite. So, yeah, there was a penthouse suite mm. at the top, which you very rarely, as a lowly researcher, you very rarely get to see it. But every now and then they would have, if there was someone particularly famous or notorious, actually. So we had um, OJ Simpson on Tonight with Richard and Judy when he'd just been acquitted of murdering his wife. Wow. And uh, Neil Diamond was on the same programme. And Neil Diamond didn't want to be in the same room as oj simpson so there was all this hoo-ha about how to move everyone into studio without them running into each other so one of them ended up i think actually oj got the penthouse uh which seems wrong yeah but i think neil diamond was busy you know sound checking and stuff so yeah you occasionally got to go up to the the dizzying heights which was still kind of quite 1970s ish it was still because i suppose i mean the heyday of granada must have been you know the 70s and 80s really I think it was slightly on the wane even when I was there and then it mm-hmm. eventually just became sort of subsumed into ITV didn't it yeah but it felt like yeah slightly faded glamour but really quite nicely a little bit seedy anyway uh, that that clipboard what stories that clipboard could tell <laughs> I know. it came to Vegas with me we did uh, I worked on the Mrs Merton show and we went to Las Vegas which was a Fairly traumatic experience in lots of ways, but um, amazing. You know, for a young, I was like 23 or so, and to go and work in Vegas for about a month uh, was extraordinary. And we had, who did we have on it? We had Tammy Wynette and Patrick Duffy, who was Bobby in Dallas, who is one of the nicest men I have ever met in my life. He, We had massive technical difficulties. I mean, the recording just went on for hours and hours. And Patrick Duffy was such a trooper. And he got up and chatted to all the audience. Because obviously we brought over, there used to be an audience of senior citizens from Manchester. And they'd all been flown over for the show, which was great fun, but very hard to organise and manage. <laughs> and uh, Patrick Duffy just got up and chatted to all of them and was just an absolute dream. I can't remember who else we had, but yeah, it was it was quite extraordinary. Oh, Tony Curtis. Ah, now I've met Tony Curtis and he is an extraordinary man, isn't he? Mm. He came to my son's school. Uh, my son went to a, a school for school refusers. Oh, yeah. Children who dropped out of school. and. Uh, it was funded, amazingly, by Mohammed Al-Fayed. Gosh. <laughs> I know. The things you never know about people. Isn't this extraordinary? Well, I'm now going to look up Mohammed Al-Fayed's life story now. When 
somebody's sort of uh, vilified all the time. Mm. These things never come out. But he paid an enormous amount of money to fund this school, to help these kids. And he was very brilliant. He would turn up every now and again in the Harrods helicopter with somebody famous. And he'd take them in the helicopter and fly them to Seven Oaks. And he did it one day when we were there and, and out got Mohamed Al-Fayed and then out got Tony Curtis. And Tony Curtis then gathered all the kids in the assembly hall and said, um, told them how he'd had a terrible time at school and had been bullied and, and that's why he learned to box. And he was a good boxer when he was young, but to protect himself. But he remembers it as very lonely and, and horrible. But, you know, that if you, you know, hang on in there, you know, you can do all sorts of things. Oh. And it was a wonderful thing to do. God, lovely. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it just? I know. Yeah, and so I've always had a real soft spot for him. Uh, I so wanted to jump up and shout, I'm Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> but then you would have, no one else would have got the reference. And they you wouldn't have, have known what I was talking <laughs> I'd look like an idiot, <laughs> as I often do. <laughs> oh. Oh, Lucy Dovely. Okay, well, let's put your clipboard from Granada Television into the time capsule. It's gone in there with your mum and dad. <laughs> I don't know what good that's going to be. They'll have a clipboard to uh, get their schedule yeah. sorted for busy afterlife activities. I'm sure that'd be fun. Yeah, they can write a list of things we must get Lucy to do. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, see what you come up with next. Okay, we're going to take a short break here to listen to some ads or possibly some silence. Anyway, we'll be back in a minute. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what the third thing is that Lucy would like to put into her time capsule. Well, because the, the difficulty is obviously it's things that are precious to you and that you want to preserve for all time, right? Mm. But I would say I was tempted to put in my cats, but um, <laughs> that seems a bit, a little bit cruel, doesn't it? To uh, I just basically I love cats. I think it's possible as a concept. <laughs> 
The only cats I've had are both still alive because ah. I never had pets as a child. And my mum and dad really didn't approve of pets as a concept. They thought it was disgusting to have animals living in your house. Um, but Justin persuaded me that we should get cats. And I was like, no, I want, I want a dog. I definitely want a dog. But we couldn't really have a dog because, you know, obviously we're away a lot. Mm. I mean, we have two children. We're not that worried about. We're like, that's fine. They'll, they'll cope for themselves. But uh, <laughs> But, you know, dogs really need love and care and uh, <laughs> uh, and attention. So, uh, yeah, so we ended up getting cats as a compromise measure. The compromise basically being all on my side because I didn't want to get them at all. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely love them. And I'm completely, the idea of having pets to me now, I totally get it in a way that I never did. I love my cats so much that um, I was doing an interview with a journalist who was looking through my social media and she said, oh, Lucy, I've noticed in your uh, Twitter feed and stuff, you've got loads of pictures of your cats and hardly any of your children. Is that because you're trying to protect your children's privacy? And I, I kind of, I went, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's why it is. Of course it wasn't. It's just because I just, I constantly take pictures of the cats. I'm obsessed, <laughs> obsessed with them. And yeah, and it's just taught me so much. I think it's been an amazing lesson for me because I am someone who is quite careless and chaotic and I think having the cats and then the children has sort of given me a sense of responsibility and focus and uh, you know I came very late to feeling any kind of sense of groundedness or rootedness and I've always been someone who's lived in a million different rented places and I just never had any interest in so accumulating expensive things I've always got loads of rubbish and tat but um but yeah I think like now I definitely feel a little bit more grounded and um sort of grown up and responsible and I think that is down to having cats really so you got the cats before you had the children sort of concurrently with we decided to just go for the whole thing (laughs) (laughs) just just get everything done at once let's just ruin it you know ruin the house in so many ways have you got a, a boy and a girl of both, yeah. So we've got yeah. a boy cat called Midnight and a girl cat called Daisy and a boy child called John and a girl child called Emily. So it works very well. You don't get confused. All the time. I mean, I basically <laughs> often don't know. Well, I, I am now doing the thing that my dad used to do of scrolling through the names of every single person in the household. And I, I could never understand how that happens to you, but it absolutely does where I call everyone the other members of the household's name before I get to the right one. Yeah. So I'm worried about the idea that you think that by putting them in the time capsule, they're going to be taken away from you. (laughs) This is a concept. I think this is a magical thing, this time capsule. (laughs) You can put their essence in there, as it were, and they will be there for when you need them. Yeah, well, in a more sort of, in a cats as a general, or pets as a general concept, I suppose. Mm. So that if ever I open the time capsule there will be a pet there for me. Right. Yes. I think mainly, I think I spent my early life being incredibly selfish and incredibly inward focused. And I suppose one of the nicer things that comes with age and family and all that stuff is that you are forced to be more outward looking. And I th- I just think I wasn't that nice when I was younger or I just wasn't that <laughs> compassionate or empathetic or there's lots of things that I think I've had to learn and for me and I don't think you have to have pets or you have to have children or you have to you know live with other people people come to it in different ways but for me I think definitely I might have stayed being a bit of a 
self-centered person and much less happy for it I think if I hadn't kind of encountered these other beings along the way and I mean I resisted getting married until the bitter end as did Justin so we were both quite you know ripe in years when we got married and yes, I always your, your thought, show was about the fact that you weren't going to get married I remember that yeah show. yeah yeah no I was dead set against it and I still am really <laughs> I mean, the concept <laughs> of marriage I think is incredibly flawed and you do so I mean as a comedian as well it's much easier to be funny by being negative about marriage and commitment because you know there's no one wants to hear about a happy marriage and so in a way getting married has extended my comedic output in that I can you know I've got so much more to bitch about now whereas I think you know I'd moaned about being single but I never really meant it whereas I moan about being married and I really it's coming from a very deep passionate (laughs) truthful place (laughs) within (laughs) me Uh, but I wouldn't swap it for the world and I think that's how you know a, a lot of people feel I think is that it's being single is a lot more free and uncomplicated obviously but uh, being married has its pleasures complicated and difficult as they are so so yeah I think maybe what I'm putting in the time capsule is empathy compassion yeah I think you're being slightly unfair on yourself because I think that it's a general experience that young people are self-centric as it were you Mm. see the world as revolving around you Mm-hmm. and what you want to do and what you're hoping to do. And then as as time goes on, I think it's perfectly natural to, to realise that actually you're rather irrelevant. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think it just took me a bit longer than most people to realise. But yeah, I think you're right. It's not, yeah, it's... But and it, it should be that way. And I would never encourage young people not to follow their dreams and all of that stuff. No, absolutely. But yeah, and you shouldn't equally give up on thinking about yourself as an older person but yeah there is a sort of nicer balance also physically I just think letting yourself go is the nicest thing (laughs) in the world I just feel so sorry for young people because everyone can examine themselves in such minute detail on Instagram and everyone's looking at pictures of themselves all the time I just think it must be horrific because it's bad enough when we just had you know very blurry photos from crazy nights out in the 90s you know you'd still be quite self-critical but oh my goodness now when it's all in high definition I can't watch I did a tv show that was in HD and I was just happened to be around at a friend's house and our telly is old and lovely and everything looks like a beautiful 1950s musical gorgeous and uh, my friend had a really high def telly and uh, I came on it and I honestly was nearly sick in my mouth I couldn't <laughs> I just couldn't watch I was and it was I couldn't watch anything of the content of the program because I was just so busy looking at my awful face <laughs> but generally you know poor eyesight and a lack of you know a sort of a diminishing interest in my own appearance have made life a lot easier and I yeah I just think it's very difficult as well in showbiz I feel really sorry for younger people younger women in particular I suppose but even the boys now I think are just so scrutinized and criticized and 
you're constantly being judged and actually it's now extending to everyone not just people in showbiz it's everyone is sort of rating each other and evaluating each other all the time and Mm. although and I say all of this and then I know loads of really lovely young people who aren't like that at all and who have learned empathy and and calm and kindness a lot earlier than I did so good luck to them. Yeah, I think that's always the case. I think there will always be people who just go with the flow, as it were, but other people who just say, no, I'm not interested in that. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, Those people are generally the happier people, I think. They really are, yeah. I had a friend who uh, I, I used to think was mad because she, she, she always just believed she was in the right constantly. And she you know, always just thought she looked fantastic and every decision she ever made was right and she could never understand why other people were so unreasonable. And I used to think she was an absolute nightmare, which she kind of was as a younger person, but basically what she was was a middle-aged man in the body of a 20-something woman (laughs) because (laughs) now that is exactly what my husband, and to a lesser extent, I am like, basically. (laughs) Basically, look at a middle-aged man (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and take all the sort of positive attributes of sort of being quite self-confident and not suffering fools gladly or whatever because I suffered a lot of fools in my time all right so you're seeing that as a positive yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think you need a bit of everything don't you really yeah. a bit of balance in your personality well I, I'm going to put your cats in and assure you that they're perfectly safe and you'll still <laughs> have them here but I'm also going to put the the concept of empathy and uh Having an outward-looking nature and that sort of thing is uh, is very nice. I'm, I'm glad we put that in there because actually so far we put a clipboard in with your mum and dad. <laughs> and then pets. And they were dead against pets. <laughs> oh, poor mum and dad. Look I at know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I would put in with my mum and dad is Dave Allen because he is my absolute favourite comedian of all time. He's also dead, <laughs> so I don't feel guilty like I do about the cats. And uh, he would absolutely have my mum and dad in stitches because, I mean, we used to watch Dave Allen all the time. He was, even though he was quite irreligious and my dad was very devout, somehow they still absolutely loved him. And I think he's absolute genius. And if mm. I could ever be a millionth as funny as Dave Allen, I would be very happy indeed. I just think every gesture, every word, so beautifully timed and paced and measured and uh, and, and subject matter, you know, universal, yet slightly cheeky. And he was very edgy in his day, mm. but still quite mainstream. So I just think, yeah, he's, he's a genius. So if he could go in just for my mum and dad's sake. Yeah. And maybe we could keep the cats out, but put empathy in because they've taught me empathy. Can we go with that? We can. We keep the cats on. You keep them at home. That's it. And we'll put Dave Allen in there. Yeah. Did you ever meet Dave Allen? No, I did not. Did you? I did. Okay. Uh, yeah, he came. And I think this is an example of, uh, of maybe why he was such a great comic. Is because when I was very young and I was performing at the comic strip, uh, doing sort of stand-up, but not very good stand-up, <laughs> uh, not like your standard of stand-up, uh, he came to see the shows quite often. Mm-hmm. and would sit in the audience and watch all these supposedly unfunny young comedians. And he he would then buy people drinks in the bar afterwards, and he was a real fan of it. And I think for somebody who was so mainstream to be looking for something new, I think that's a sign of somebody who, although they've had great success, they've got the nous to realise that times change. Well, and I think that's most comics, 
I mean, even the really successful ones that I know, you love it as an art form and you do want to see what's happening from a purely, you know, as a fan kind of thing. Because I think, I mean, I, we've just discovered today that the Edinburgh Festival 2020 is no longer going ahead, mm. which to me is a massive shame because it's one of the only places now that I really get to see a lot of other comedy. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's a real shame, not so much because I was doing a show, but more for seeing other people. Because I think you have to, as a creative person, you have to keep watching and absorbing what other people are doing because it does refresh what you do even though you need to keep your own unique vision and style and all of that you can't be blowing around like a reed in the wind but you can yeah definitely absorb the zeitgeist can't you yeah the fun of performing i think is that actually you are challenged to do things that you've never done before in Mm. in a way that you've never done them before i loved it when my favorite dave allen sketch uh it was him dressed as sir francis drake standing on the poop deck and somebody shouts out, Captain, duck. And he says, Drake, you fool. And a cannonball hits him in the head. <laughs> I love a bit of slapstick as well. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> so we've only got one thing left, Lucy, and it's really it's something that you'd like to get rid of. Mm. Mm. This is often a quandary for people, I'm afraid. Oh, well, I am, yeah, because I do sort of generally tend to try and be quite positive and upbeat. But having said that... Probably my unhappiest, the unhappiest part of my childhood all related to PE and the teachers of (laughs) PE. So maybe I'll tell you what I'm going to get rid of is picking teams. Were you one of the people who got picked towards the end? Oh, I mean, it was really humiliating. And (laughs) I remember once we were doing some kind of gymnastics thing where everyone had to pick partners. And uh, the teacher did the classic thing where it was like, okay, so the most sporty people, she got them out first and then they got to pick. And then, you know, the middling ones and then they got to pick. And then the people who were absolute no-hopers and she got them out to pick. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, I'm still here. And she got down to uh, the last two of us, which was me and a girl who just had an operation on her leg. Um, and <laughs> and we were just le- there was no question of us picking or any you know we were just left together and she left us in no doubt that we were the weakest of the weak and uh, in fact I remember my school report from that particular PE teacher which said Lucy is lazy disinterested and content to do only the minimum and I remember being very upset by that but also, and this is what a snob I was thinking, <laughs> I think she means uninterested, not disinterested. So <laughs> I was, you know, clearly my uh, attention and my skills were focused elsewhere rather than PE. But I think, yeah, cruel PE teachers, because I know so many people who've been scarred by a particularly, uh, there was a mindset that seemed to be PE is a punishment and it's about weeding out the people who think they're better than everyone else because they're clever or the, you know, the people who are just weak. And it's, it was, yeah, really, that's touched a very visceral mm. part of, you know, that's touched me, uh, the idea of Pete. But then I don't know, but you, you see, because actually all my kids' Pete teachers are really nice and things have moved on and people moan about, oh, they don't do competitive sports like they used to, but they still do, but they just don't make it quite so gladiatorial. So they are aware that labelling children as either thick or 
week or you know anything that you are going to take with you for life because I think I have for life I've always said I'm terrible at sports I've got no coordination um I'm really lazy and and you know again as you get older you realize oh no hang on I'm not really lazy I just didn't like standing in a really cold hockey field and you know not being allowed to play so me and Julia with the broken leg we had to go and you know just hit balls at each other and thwack each other around the legs and why would you have fun in those circumstances that's the point when you look at that situation it's such an obvious thing to make the picker the person you think is probably least capable Mm, so you say right Lucy and uh, broken leg (laughs) <laughs> to come. Now you, you pick your teams and, then, up here, loved. <laughs> and things become slightly friendlier and nicer. No, it was a very, yeah, a dog-eat-dog world because I think there was so much incentive to do well and, you know, it was... Uh, but then, actually, you know, it probably made me the woman I am today because that early sense of failure and disappointment is absolutely necessary for a comedian. I mean, you know, someone who has just achieved their entire lives is very unlikely to become a stand-up, I would say. There has to be some fairly fundamental flaw or (laughs) sense of lack or loss that that drives you into it. So maybe she did me a favour. Well, maybe that's what they were aiming to do. Maybe they thought that this is what this does, is it toughens people up. Well, you can build character in good and bad ways, can't you? Yeah, you you can. (laughs) <laughs> I think you can encourage good character in people by being nice to them yes. you know, and encouraging them rather than saying, well, you're really, really useless. Now go yeah. on, go and make something of yourself. Well, this is why I get very tearful when we go to my kids' school things because everyone is so nice. And it, I, I mean, I just find myself weeping buckets because they do these assemblies and it's all about kindness and community. And I mean, when the schools had to close down, the teachers were so amazing and the headmaster has been doing assemblies via video conferencing and we all sat down to watch the assembly and I was blubbering because <laughs> I was so moved and my daughter's like get out of the will you get out of the way you're crying in front of all my school friends but I found it really emotional because that would I mean you know I say that would never have happened actually I did have a really nice headmaster when I was at primary school as well but particularly at primary school I'd rather that they were taught the world is a nice benign place I think I'd rather educate the children for the world I wish existed Mm. at least for a bit and then let yeah. them find out the awful reality later rather than you know educate them for the the worst excesses of adult life yeah yeah and there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with having dreams I, idealism is is no bad thing at all <laughs> no well I, i'm gonna put i'm gonna put teaching pe at your school actually then just i won't be cruel to all pe teachers because i'm sure there were i'm sure there, there were, were lovely good. ones yeah Oh, yeah, Mr. Nevins. I should give a shout out to Mr. Nevins, who's my uh, daughter's PE teacher, who's an absolute angel. He's lovely. Uh, so, yeah, it's all very different now. Oh, Lucy, how lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time away from your children at this difficult time. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's, I, I'm not going to say a pleasure to be away from the children for half an hour, but uh, we, we're certainly <laughs> enjoying a lot of each other's company at the moment. So, I'm sure both they and I will be. <laughs> Glad of a small break. Well, this is why God invented Minecraft. (laughs) You've been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Lucy Porter. 
The programme was produced and edited by John Fenton Stevens, and the music was by Pass the Peas Music. You can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or your own favourite podcast provider, and if you have the time, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us and write a short review. Thank you. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook for all the latest about my time capsule at my TC pod. Or you can follow me at Fenton Stevens if you like photos of grandchildren and cats. Thanks for listening, especially if you made it all the way through to the last bit, the end. Congratulations. Although most sensible people would have stopped listening by now. I mean, I've not really got anything else to say. I'm just just talking for the sake of it. I'm always tempted to just keep talking until the last person gives up. I mean, I don't really know what to talk about, but nice weather we've been having recently, isn't it? Oh, my time capsule is a cast-off production. Thanks. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.